You're listening to Nightlight. Hi, and welcome once again to Nightlight. Back with us on the program is Melvin with part two of his teaching on hindrances to faith. Part one was a real life changer for me, for the first time helping me to more fully be aware of the privileges and rights I have inherited as a child of God and a joint heir with Christ under the new covenant. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Melvin, great to have you back with us so soon on Nightlight. Now, at the end of the last show, you said you had some more hindrances to faith that you have yet to share. I'm eager to hear what else that you have to teach on this topic. Yes, I mean, uh, thank you, Jesus, for, you know, uh, his word is always refreshing and, you know, faith building and getting our minds renewed. So, yeah, I'm happy to share it. Um, Yeah, in the last class that, you know, of course, there are so many hindrances to faith. I'm just going over the most uh, important things that really helped me. We don't really have a lot of time to cover every aspect of it, but I think these few uh, that I'm going to share would hopefully be a blessing to everyone that hears it. I'm sure. Now, in the last class, we talked about, you know, the hindrances uh, to faith, and one of them was the, you know, the failure to understand the difference between the two covenants, right? Yes. A lot of times, because people don't really get uh, into studying what really happened, you know, they lack in that uh, potential to have the faith to walk as Christ walked on this earth, right? So, understanding the two covenants, you know, gave us a better understanding of how Christ works in us in the New Testament and in the Christian life. Now, Another aspect of that was, uh, you know, we went over a little bit about our authority, how we, when we understand our authority, then our faith starts working, right? That's right. And also, we covered a bit on the new creation, how a lack of knowledge about the new creation in Christ has, you know, hindered our faith from fully operating. Yes. In the Old Testament, God just visited his people, Most of the time it was angels bringing messages to the people. And so God was just visiting them. There was no habitation of God. But in the New Testament, you know, God is not just visiting us. He actually dwells in us, right? Right. We have become a habitation of God, not just a visitation. Many times people think, oh, if I go to a church, you know, I'm going into the presence of God. If I go to church uh, on a Sunday, I'm, I'm with Him and I worship Him, I enjoy Him. But that is a wrong idea, you know, that Christians have been taught. Uh, you know, we are not going to visit God or it's not God visiting us, but He dwells in us. Wow. In uh, John chapter 14, Jesus said, you know, God is in me and, you know, I'm in you. He that keepeth my word, my Father will love him and we will come and we will make our abode with him. So when Jesus rose from the dead, now we are the habitation of God. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Wow. Before my thinking was, okay, God is in heaven, He's there, you know, I have to do all these things in order for Him to respond to me. But once I started realizing from the Word that I'm a habitation, that means God is here in me, and where I go, He goes with me. Any need I have, He's right there with me. So I don't have to do these long prayers and fasting or something to connect with Him. But most of the time, when we, you know, when we first received Christ, we said a prayer like, Jesus, come into our heart. You know, we got saved. And after that, we don't really acknowledge the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is now inside of us. And so... A lot of times, you know, I hear pastors praying and people praying, God, please uh, help us to be in your presence and let the Holy Spirit descend upon us. And yes, all those prayers are not for a Christian. Wow. So we have to walk knowing that he's present with me. Like just now when I'm teaching this class, 
I know he's present with me and when I speak, I believe that God will speak through me or the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he acknowledged that. If you read John chapter 14, it is very clear. Jesus said, the words that I speak, it's not I that speak it, but the Father in me that speak it. Also, he said that the works that I do, it's not I who doeth it, but it is the Father in me who doeth it, right? So Jesus walked all the time acknowledging his presence, the presence of the Father in him. We need to get into that habit of acknowledging him. So every day in the morning when I wake up, uh, I don't just say a prayer. I just walk around acknowledging the Father in me and thanking him for everything that he's doing through me. Good point. And so I've seen that it's not just a prayer, but it's the acknowledgement that brings out his presence into our daily life. See, we are not calling for the presence of God to come to us. See, that's, that's a prayer of unbelief. A prayer of faith acknowledges that he's already in us and we just thank him. And the more we do that, we see that his presence is now with us, right? When I say with us means in our mind, and then it comes into our body and into our daily interaction. And so my life has drastically changed once I understood that. Wow. But in the Old Testament, the people had no way of doing that because, you know, God and the Holy Spirit was not a habitation. They were just visiting, especially the Holy Spirit came upon people, but he was never inside of them. And only the leaders, the judges, the kings and the prophets had the Holy Spirit come upon them for a certain period of time. That's right. But with us as new creations, we are so excited, I hope everybody's excited, that we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in us, walking right. in us. Wow. They, you know, there was an Old Testament prophecy about God coming and living with us and walking in us. But if we don't acknowledge the fact through faith, then we are going to walk alone. Even though we might know that He will never leave us nor forsake us, but on a daily basis, we are not availing of His presence. Yes. And sometimes people think, oh, you know, I need to spend a lot of time in prayer and quoting scriptures so the presence. No, it is just uh, acknowledgement. It's understanding that you have that presence with you. And now the Father is pleased because, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Once you believe that He's in us, now the new creation starts manifesting in our daily life. Otherwise, our faith is still kind of uh, handicapped in the sense it's not active because we are still somehow trying to reach God through something we did or that we are doing. But Jesus, he, he, just, he just availed of the Father's presence any given time. He just knew his presence. So when he had a need, he knew the Father was there to meet it. When he went to the tomb of Lazarus, he did not doubt that his father was not going to come through because he just lived with him on a daily basis from you know morning to evening till he went to sleep. So this, this process is what Jesus gave us. Right. So now, because we are habitation of God, now we can step out into those things that Jesus did and have faith that we can do it also. And so that is, you know, my prayer for all of the people that I teach. You know, I teach, you know, during the week I teach all over different parts of the world. But my hope and my prayer is that they will understand this and they'll take in the presence. And now, you know, when we go to heaven, till they will go to heaven, we experience this presence on the earth. This was the Father's plan from the beginning. When he created Adam and Eve, you know, God came and spent time with them in the cool of the day. It was a fellowship. Amen. But because Adam sinned, that fellowship was broken, but Jesus put it back. You know, he came to reveal the Father to us. You know, many years as a missionary, I didn't really focus on the Father because I just prayed in the name of Jesus. I just, you know, I had a relationship with Jesus. You know, which is good. And, you know, when we have a relationship with Jesus, of course, you know, in a way we're having a relationship with the Father. 
but Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. So now I spend a lot of time talking to the Father in the name of Jesus, right? So now my fellowship is with the Father, with Jesus, and also with the Holy Spirit. I do spend time talking to the Holy Spirit. Jesus revealed the Holy Spirit to us, revealed the Father to us. But in the Old Testament, the revelation of the Father was not really there. There was this God factor that was like God and we are the people and God, uh, he can uh, do this to me and if I don't do that, he's going to be upset. But when it comes into a father-son relationship, we can enjoy the father and his presence on a daily basis. And that actually enhances experience in faith. And if we don't have that, it hinders our faith to some extent, right? Yes, it does. And so uh, the habitation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, of course, it's a bigger subject to teach, but just knowing the basics of it has completely changed my life. I feel all right when I'm listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. The other point I want to make is about the hindrance to our faith is a sin consciousness. Okay. Having a sin consciousness can actually hurt our faith. Because when we go to the Father or to Jesus and ask the Father for whatever we need, if we take along a sin consciousness, now this sin consciousness can cause us to waver in our faith. Yes. For a long time, even as a missionary, I suffered from sin consciousness on a daily basis. I was always having this feeling that, you know, I was not good enough. And so my idea of my father or Jesus answering my prayer was kind of hindered. Sin consciousness uh, made me have an inferiority complex. And I felt very weak in the sense like, you know, my faith was not really working because Satan made sure that somehow you remind me of my sins and that how I'm not rising up to the level that God would want me to be in so that my prayers can be answered. And so this sin consciousness can really affect us. Let's go to Hebrews 10 and verse 1 and 2. Simon, could you read that? Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. Yeah, so in the Old Testament, every year... People walked in a sin consciousness and also a sin conscience, but that's because they were reminded of their sins on a, you know, on a regular basis, because every time they went to, you know, sacrifice a lamb, they knew, you know, and they thought about sin and they confessed sin or whatever way they did it, but that was the shadow of things to come. It wasn't the real thing, it wasn't the image of things, right? So, in the New Testament, we should not have a sin conscience. We shouldn't be walking in a sin conscious state because Jesus, once he sacrificed for, for all, forever, and with his sacrifice, he removed the sin conscious from us. A lot of times Christians are, you know, in bondage to sin consciousness. They're constantly thinking of their sins. So, you know, when they pray for healing, the first thing they think of is, oh, I got this, I got sick because of this. I didn't do enough. I didn't tithe enough. I didn't pray enough. And so they go back into a work trip and that kind of keeps the, you know, conscious in a, in a sin state. Right. But, you know, it doesn't mean that in the New Testament, we don't uh, commit some sins. We do. But when we confess our sins, the Bible says in First John, uh, chapter 1, if he confesses sins, he's faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful to forgive us sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it is an immediate process. So as soon as you know that you made a mistake or you, you know, you hurt somebody, of course, we need to go and try to, you know, uh, reconcile with them, apologize to them. But as far as God is concerned, he's already forgiven us sins. 
the reason he want us to uh, confess our sins is so that we won't walk in that in the sin consciousness and so you know a lot of christians that i talk to that i teach they they carry the sin consciousness with them they're more aware of the of their sins than they're aware of the righteousness that jesus has given us through his death burial and resurrection the devil uses this to make us feel you know inferior to feel like oh you don't have what it takes to get your answers you know your prayers answered so this can really get into into our minds and it can stop us from really receiving everything that god has for us now let's look at hebrews the same chapter verse 22 seven verse 22 let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water yeah so it says let us draw near with a true heart now that's the one i want you to underline as it is in full assurance of faith see that is our goal we want to come to a state where our mind has the full assurance of faith see jesus walked in it paul walked in it peter walked in it right of course after jesus rose from the dead but when jesus was on the earth he walked in the full assurance of faith he knew that what he said would come to pass now for us the full assurance of faith is we know what god told us to say or what god gave us a promise will come to pass that is a full assurance of faith having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience you see when you carry a evil conscience when your mind has a sin consciousness then the full assurance of faith is not going to manifest you see how it hinders our faith but see a lot of times people don't you know they think uh, being conscious of a sin and always confessing that you're a sinner is humility is being humble no it is not true nowhere in the bible does god say for you to walk around confessing your sins to yourself if you hurt somebody then confess it to that person and get over it if you have sinned and you know it confess it to god and he's faithful the idea is for you to get rid of it and walk in the conscience of righteousness that helps the presence of the father to be in us all day long you know most of us as christian we are not walking in the full assurance of faith because somehow satan is able to convince us and remind us of all our sins the minute i do something wrong or i said something wrong or i feel i've sinned i immediately go to and ask the father to forgive me in the name of jesus and it is gone it is finished i don't dwell on it i don't like before i would think about things i committed two years ago three years ago four years ago and i would dwell on it dwell on it till i kind of get into the state of unworthiness but see that state of unworthiness produces fear and destroys faith robs us of our peace of mind and even our most earnest prayer life is affected he also produces an inferiority complex in us we are afraid of god and you know this can be traced for any you know most of the spiritual failures in us we can always trace it back to our sin consciousness because sin consciousness is one of the tools that satan uses to keep a god's children under condemnation inspiring you to dig deeper into god's word you're listening to nightlight Now, could we go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1-7? It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, therefore, there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're going to talk about the Christ in, in Christ later on. But there is no condemnation. How is that we don't have condemnation? God is not condemning us. because all of that god put it on jesus and jesus took the whole wrath of a punishment that's right so we are no more under condemnation but satan can make us feel condemnation if we carry a sin conscience with us mm-hmm. see he can easily enter into a person who's thinking all the time about sin and thinking somehow he can't get healed he can't receive things from god because of something he did that is the sin consciousness and sometimes 
we ourselves put ourselves into a sin consciousness by producing some laws for ourselves. Right. Like a lot of times people, you know, they make commitments saying that I will not drink alcohol anymore, I will not eat this, or I will not uh, watch movies, or I will not, uh, I will spend two hours every day reading the word. And they make the commitment, but sometimes the commitment is made from their own strength. And so, sooner or later they see that they fall short. Now see, they made a law for themselves, and now they fail in the, their own law, and now Satan comes and puts condemnation on them, by making them feel like, look, you're useless, you cannot keep your own commitments, and now people start feeling condemned or feel, uh, get into sin consciousness. It's not because the word says it, it's because we put ourselves, I've done that to myself so many times. Yeah, me too. And that kind of robs, you know, the initiative that I have in my heart to do something. Now, it is good to have commitments, but Nowadays, when I make a commitment, I say, I'm going to spend three hours in God's Word every day. But if I don't spend, I'm not going to get condemned. It's not a law. If I don't do it, I'm still fine with God. I'm still, you know, loved by God. I'm still receiving all the blessings from God. But see, Satan is waiting for us sometimes to make our own laws. It's true. Now, a lot of the churches, they have their own laws that they bind on people. And then they expect them to keep it. And when they don't keep it, they speak condemnation and, you know, fear into those people. Right. See, now Satan is able to use that condemnation. But here it says there is no more condemnation because the minute you sin, you take it to the Father in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he takes care of it. And now you can start walking you know, in the righteousness. So the more we think about the righteousness, that we are the righteousness of God, the more it manifests in our daily life. Now, if you look at uh, when Jesus was on the earth, you know, when, she, when he, uh, the lady was caught in the very act of adultery, the Pharisees brought the girl to Jesus and said, she has committed adultery and, you know, what do you think we should do? The law says we need to th uh, stone her to death. But Jesus, you know, wisely got rid of those people by saying, oh, who among you have not sinned Throw the first stone? And now their own hearts condemned them, even though they were not exposed to the sin. That means they, people did not catch them in their sin, but in their own heart, they, they felt condemned. Right. Now, Jesus turned to the woman and said, did anyone condemn you? And she said, no, Lord, none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, condemnation is the strength of sin. Hmm. So what happens is, when Jesus took away her idea that she's condemned, first he took away from the people, said, did anybody condemn you? She said, no, okay, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, Jesus empowered that woman to sin no more. See, now she could go, she had the power to overcome sin because the condemnation was removed from her. See, it gave her the strength to go and live a life away from that particular sin she committed. See, so when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he took away the condemnation. That gives her the power over sin. John said, uh, I write to you that you sin not, you know, in First John. But if any of you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he's, he didn't say that you want sin. He said that, you know, that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate. So immediately, we can get rid of that. Yes. So we are not in the condemnation. Now, a lot of people think, oh, so that means you're giving license to sin. You can sin and just... No, it's not, it's not my, what you call, method. It is God's method. He doesn't want his children to walk in condemnation or carry a sin consciousness or an evil consciousness because that can stop us by walking by faith. So it can hinder our faith. Now, if you look at uh, 1 Timothy 1.19. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Holding faith and a good conscience, right, which some having put away, so they put it away. 
it was uh, now an evil conscience or a sin conscience in them and it says when that happens we make faith shipwreck now shipwreck doesn't mean that you don't have faith inside of you because it's a gift we talked about in the last class right that god has given to every man the measure of faith is talking to us the measure of faith the same faith paul even said that life that now i live i live by the faith of jesus christ the new testament talks in many places of the faith of jesus because see that's the faith that's inside of us and that can become a fruit of the spirit because it's given to us it is in us but that faith is shipwreck is not active it is not producing what it's supposed to produce because we carry around sin consciousness in us so when we put that away when we put away a good conscience which is love joy peace all of that we are not walking in a sin consciousness but we are walking in a righteousness consciousness so now our ship is working that means our faith is going to take us some place right and so see there you, you see how this condemnation a feeling of condemnation a conscience that we carry around in sin in some denominations they are you know preachers are constantly preaching condemnation and sin constantly making people aware of the sin so the reason they do that they think like if people can understand the sin the sinning the sinning they will somehow change right but the more you hear about sin the more you have a sin consciousness it strengthens sin paul said that paul said that very you know very clearly he said the law strengthens sin he said that when i was told that covetousness is sin then sin rose in me see so jesus came to take away that whole mentality of a sin nature and give us a mentality of righteousness yes for me to have this change when i started understanding this concept and understanding what god's word says about a sin consciousness now i get rid of it as you know as soon as it starts hitting my mind i get rid of it i don't want to walk one more minute in a sin conscious state if there is anything i need to do to get you know to straighten things out i'll do it hmm. but as far as god and me are concerned our relationship is you know is clear because i'm a son he's my father and sin consciousness can come in between and make us afraid of god and make us not have that fellowship that god so much desires of us so a lot of times people think no i don't have a sin consciousness no we do for many years i was taught that the reason you're sick is because you did something wrong because you didn't listen to the voice of god you did not pay your tithe many such things and so every time i got sick my thing was like i had a sin consciousness that oh i did something wrong that's why god put sickness on me now that is gone i know god doesn't put sickness on me it is a devil who put sickness on me and i'm not going to carry a sin consciousness because there are people who have done nothing wrong and still sick for life but still somehow they're trying to dig out something because when the sin conscious come you got to be sure that your faith is not going to be active it's always bright when you're listening to nightlight now i can you know all of this i can teach on a, a, a class on each but i'm just going through the basics here now at the same time on the other side of the coin failure to understand the righteousness of god can cause our faith uh, to be inactive now that is also when we go between the two covenants we know in the old covenant the righteousness was by people who are trying to become righteous by following the commandments but the bible says you know, no flesh was justified by the law or by the keeping or the works of the law but today we know that we are the righteousness of god right mm-hmm. let's go to second corinthians 5 verse 21 second corinthians 5 verse 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him yeah so that that aspect of trying to achieve righteousness or trying to be right with god is no more a problem we don't have to do anything to become the righteousness of god we are made the righteousness of god the minute we receive jesus christ 
It is not the works that we do, right? A lot of times people equate righteousness with the behavior. Yes. You know, how you behave. People say, oh, you're righteous, you're not righteous by your behavior. But righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without guilt, shame, or condemnation. Wow. It is not something you did. It is something that Jesus did. And it was given to us as a gift. Romans 5.17 talks about it. If you have received the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace, you will rule in life through one Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ not only took away our condemnation, nailed it to the cross, and gave us a good, clear conscience, but he also gave us the gift of righteousness so we can be more righteous conscious than sin conscious. Now, if you look at Hebrews chapter 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, we have boldness to come to the throne of grace. In the Old Testament, they did not have that. They did not have the boldness to come into the presence of God. Now, we had the temple and we had the Holy of Holies. And the only person that was allowed to go in there was a high priest that also once a year to take the blood of the lambs. But nobody was allowed to go in there. Even the priest, if he didn't you know, clean himself and do all the things that was you know, written in the law for him to be cleansed, he couldn't even enter into the Holy of Holies. But now the Holy of Holies came inside of us and Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is there. Now we can fellowship with the Father without any fear. See, we have boldness to enter into his presence and, and receive whatever we need wow. because there is no condemnation. When I go to my Father in prayer, when I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm not thinking about, you know, God is going to strike me down, you know, am I, am I right with God, is everything. I'm, no, no, I have no sense of that. When I go to the Father, I go boldly. Even if I committed a sin, I can go to the Father boldly because Jesus already paid for it. So that's what you know, a lot of people lack, is like the boldness to enter into His presence. Yes. Jesus made that available to us. So if we don't have the boldness, it is, there is a fear, and fear and faith don't work together. So righteousness is not something we are trying to earn. I guess, you know, I did a class on righteousness before. So it's, you know, it's not something that we are producing, but it's something that we are walking in. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Simon. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Yes. So Jesus was raised for our justification, right? We are declared righteous when Jesus rose. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we are not declared righteous. See, it happened 2,000 years ago. We've been declared righteous. So if we are declared righteous, why would we, like for example, you know, when, when there was a slave thing going on here in the States, when finally the government took that away and declared every slave now, uh, you know, a citizen of the United States. Do you know for a long time, some of the slaves in the South, they didn't, they didn't understand. I mean, they didn't get the news. And so they were still being used as slaves. Really? They didn't have the knowledge that, you know, now they are free men. Same thing with a lot of Christians. We were declared righteous. We are not trying to be righteous. We are declared righteous by God through Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. So now I know I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did. So if you don't have the knowledge and if the devil keeps you from that knowledge and makes you think that you have to produce good works in order for God to bless you, now your faith is always going to be hindered in that area because you always have this sense of unworthiness that you have not lived up to the standard. So Jesus took care of that and, you know, he gave us his righteousness. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See, now you can see faith and righteousness are, are directly connected there. He's not looking for righteousness in me by law, by any form of works that I do. 
trying to please God, but now that righteousness in me is of God, but it's by faith. So once a Christian understands that he is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, now he walks boldly. Satan can't come and, you know, condemn him or make him feel unworthy because you are the righteousness of God. Even when you sin, you're still the righteousness of God because the righteousness is, is from God. It's by faith, it's not by works. So that understanding and that concept and that knowledge that we carry with us every day helps our faith to be strong and it makes our faith to start producing what it is supposed to produce. Wow. Now, I mean, I'm so amazed. The more I study the Bible, I'm so amazed at what God has done for us. A lot of times, the thing, you know, we think, okay, Jesus saved us and we are saved. And the concept we have is the salvation is that it is forgiveness of sins. And when we go to heaven, all things are going to work out. Right. We're going to have peace. Right. We're going to be bold. You know, we are going to be new, you know, new creatures then. No, we are new creatures now. Yes. And God took away all this mentality, all these uh, mindsets out of us by giving to us freely everything that Jesus bought with his blood. But the sad part of it, Simon, is that we are not walking in it. We are happy for salvation. Yes, we're going to go to heaven one day. Uh, I will be, you know, okay. No, we are okay today. This righteousness mentality is for today. It is for us for now. Paul walked in it. Peter walked in it. Jesus walked in it. And now God has made it possible for us to walk in it as his children. Yes. Right? Yes. So this can hinder our faith. It's like if we don't understand that and if you don't, if you're not conscious of you being the righteousness of God and you have boldness to enter into his presence, then it can hinder us and hinder our prayer life. A lot of times our prayer life is prayers of hope, like I was sharing last time. We are praying, hoping God would something, doing, hoping something. But a prayer of faith knows that it's God's will for you to have it. He's already provided it. And because you believe in it, now you have what you desired of Him because you believe by faith. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight. Shining God's love light to the world. Yeah, I'd like to share two more today. So that should kind of wrap it up. Now, a failure to understand who we are in Christ can and will hinder our faith. Now, knowing that we are new creatures is good. And it's one thing to know that we have become you know, new creatures. And that means we have the indwelling of God and the spirit in us. See, that's how we became new creatures. Now, the in Christ is what we need to believe to live the life that Christ has for us. Live a victorious life, a powerful life over Satan and all his demonic attacks. See, we need to understand that we, you know, the in Christ is an important aspect of us walking by faith. Romans chapter 8 verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Yeah, so now, once we receive Jesus Christ and we made new creation, now God has given us so many promises that if we are in Christ, this is how you are going to benefit. Now, if you look in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are around 130 verses that talk about us being in Christ or in Him or with Him or by Him or through Him. There's almost like 130 verses. Yeah, why did God give us those verses? And most Christians don't understand that that aspect of uh, Christian life or of uh, God's Word. God gave us 130 or more of those is so that we can, from the time we are made new creatures, now our mind needs to be renewed to these truths. So you can start, you know, confessing those uh, scriptures. Like here, right here it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. See, in Christ Jesus, that is talking to us, has set me free from the law of sin and death. I talked about this, you know, in a class a long time ago, but a lot of times Christians are still affected by the law of sin and death. 
because of the lack of knowledge that if you are in Christ, the only law that works in you is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yes. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that life in abundance. Now a lot of people think that, okay, I received Christ, so I have this life. Yes, you have it, but it's inside of you, like I talked about it in the last class. Having eternal life and taking hold of eternal life or experiencing eternal life, they are two different things. So if you are in Christ, you have this spirit, which is a law, it's already said there. So that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what dominates us. Now, sin has no more dominion over us. The Bible says that. We are dead to sin. It's talking about the nature of sin. We are dead to it. But we still commit some sins is because our mind is not renewed to these truths. So not having a complete understanding of what God has given us in Christ promises can affect our prayer life and can also affect our faith from operating in the, in the full assurance of faith. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Yes. So, Paul is making a statement right here. Of course, the Spirit talking through him, saying that, look, you, you guys are new creatures. Nothing else matters. You know, you being circumcised, not circumcised, you did this, you did that. None of those matters anymore. What matters is you understanding that you're a new creature. Now that is going to benefit us. So if we know we are new creatures, then we know we are in Christ. And then all those promises in Christ becomes a reality in us through faith. But if you don't understand those promises, then faith is hindered and it doesn't become a reality. Those promises doesn't become a reality. Now, we have been programmed by the church and by, you know, religious leaders and teachers in the past that, you know, and our, our minds are programmed to think differently. We think somehow these promises are not real. We have to do something, pray day and night in order for the promises to become real. No, the promises become real when you have a knowledge of them. You're right. It's nightlight. Simon, could you read, uh, I think it's second chapter, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Sure. It says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Yeah. So it says very clearly there that when you're born again, all things pertaining to life and godliness is already given to us. But how do we receive it in the, in the physical world? Through the knowledge of Him. See, of Him is in Christ. So when you understand in Christ our promises, now this becomes a reality in us. But if we don't have the knowledge, we are not meditating on the knowledge and allowing that knowledge to dominate our thinking, this thing remains as in the, in the spirit, spiritual realm. All things are given to us. But how? Through the knowledge it will come into our daily life. Now look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Yeah, so here it is in Christ. He's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings, but it is in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. It is inside your spirit. But by the knowledge of that, it will start manifesting in our daily life. So faith works by your understanding of the Word of God. It's not talking about a mental acceptance or a mental knowledge. It's talking about you actually experimenting with that promise of God and it actually manifesting. Now, all of the things that are given to us starts manifesting through experimental knowledge, not just head knowledge. Head knowledge is that, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I read that verse, I know that verse. But is that verse producing what it's supposed to produce? It only produced by us meditating on it. So in the morning for like 10-20 minutes, uh, Simon, I go around the house, I, I probably shared this before, and I, I confess everything that I am in Christ Jesus. Wow. You know, 
I talk about I have no more condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings because I am in Christ Jesus. All things pertaining to life and you know, godliness is given to me through the knowledge. See, I keep uh, saying what I am. I, I, you know, I'm an heir. I, I have inheritances. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. See, I want my mind to think on these things all day long. Wow. See, and that keeps my mind from being attacked by Satan saying, oh, you are not good enough. You know, you have not done enough. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. That's, you know, that takes care of it because I want to keep my mind on what God's word says about me. That's such a key. See, that's a, that's an in Christ experience. God did the aspect of giving us everything for free. Like the death of Jesus Christ has produced two kinds of redemption in the sense it's one redemption but there's two aspects of it. The first aspect is the legal aspect of a redemption which is what Jesus and God did for us. Those things we have received by faith, we just receive it as a gift. That's a legal aspect of redemption. Yes. The whole universe knows you're a child of God because of what Jesus did. Jesus exposed Satan and brought him to shame and took away all the power he had and gave it to us. That's the legal aspect of our, our redemption. We being a new creature is his work, not us. But the vital aspect or the experimental aspect of our redemption is what the Holy Spirit through the word is doing in our daily life. See, a lot of Christians just accept the first part of the redemption and they don't, you know, want to do anything for the rest of their life. It's true. See, the Holy Spirit works through the word of God in us. Through the amount of God's word we meditate on, the Holy Spirit is able to bring those promises through faith into our daily life. So it's a continuous process. The vital aspect of a redemption continues as we get our mind renewed and more we meditate on that aspect of the promise of God, that particular promise starts manifesting in our daily life, whether it is healing, finances, you know, sound mind, whatever God has provided. So a lack of understanding of the in Christ promises for us will affect us in this life. It doesn't stop us from receiving salvation in the sense going to heaven. That doesn't stop us. We are going to heaven. We are God's children. God doesn't take away the blessings because, you know, we are not working on the vital aspect of our redemption. It's all there. It's in our account. It is there. God is not going to take it away. We just have to learn how to receive it. See, and that is the beauty of uh, the faith life. The faith life is all about receiving uh, what God has already given us through Jesus Christ. It's legal. It belongs to us. Right. Of course, you know, another day, Simon, I like to teach a class on, you know, the authority. But it is given to us. We don't earn authority. Uh, authority is uh, given to us. And so we can walk in authority. See, all of those are legal aspects. All the angels know that. And all hell knows, uh, knows it, but the Christians don't know it because they don't go and look at those promises. So you see how faith can be hindered? Yes. yes. Because we don't know in Christ what we have. So when you don't know what is in your bank, you cannot go and withdraw. You are still in doubt, hoping there is some money there. But when you look at your book or your bank account on the, on the internet and you know you have $10,000, you walk to the bank with confidence. Yes. See, this lack of knowledge of what we have in Christ has hindered millions and millions of Christians because they're not able to receive the blessing and they, they, then they think that we have to beg and beg and beg and God will give it to us. Wow. No, these are things that are already done. It's legal. It's yours. You have the same inheritance as in Christ. Wow. The light is always on with nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightline. Okay, Simon, I'm going to give you one more and then we'll stop. Is that okay? For sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a very, very important uh, aspect of uh, hindrance to our faith is the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we have to understand in the Old Testament that Jewish people or God's people were not given a certain name that they can use in authority. They had names like, you know, Jehovah, 
Zaira and Jehovah, Sid Nico and all of those names. Well, you know, it represents a different aspect of what God is to them and God is to us. Now, if you look at Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he did not have any authority over, over demonic forces. Moses didn't have any authority over demonic forces. All they had was God spirit would come upon them and they were able to uh, win battles, take care of, you know, physical things in the world. People would get healed. They even had people who are dead come to life. But if you look at Daniel, he prayed for God. And then the Bible says the messenger that God sent to, you know, reveal to Daniel about the end time, the prophecies, was hindered by the prince of Persia. Yes. Then Michael had to come and get involved and release that angel to come and give, all right? But in the New Testament, that's not how it works. In the New Testament, you have the authority over that evil force in the name of Jesus. Wow. You don't need to ask God to send an angel or Gabriel to come and get rid of the evil spirit or anything like that. You. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and all the power of the enemy. See, you don't see that in the, in the Old Testament. But a lot of times, as Christians, we are still operating uh, according to the old. You know, we are still praying, God, you come and take care of this devil for me. But we are given the name and, and you know, not understanding, you know, the meaning of the name of Jesus is a great, great hindrance to our faith. A lot of times people, you know, end their prayer in the name of Jesus, but they don't really understand what they're, what they're doing. Yep, that's right. They're not expecting the prayer to be answered in the name of Jesus. They just pray and hope that it might hit the right place and they might get it. But the name of Jesus is the most precious thing that is given to us as Christians. In that name is all the power of God is invested into that name. Jesus has legally... Wow given us a legal right to use that name. In my name, if I'm a famous person or whatever, when my wife takes on my name, she has a lot of benefits when she says, okay, I am the wife of so-and-so, right? Now she gets a lot of uh, benefits from it, just like Donald Trump's name, the Trump name or the Rockefeller name or Bill Gates. No, they, they have a lot of benefit that goes with it. These are just human beings, but the name of Jesus has the power that invested into Jesus is in that name. So Jesus is not present here with us. We have his word and then he gave us his name and in his name we are going to have that authority. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 to 10. And at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, see, this happened when Jesus rose from the dead. So he gave him a name. Now, we know the scripture, at his name every knee shall bow, but we keep it in the future when Jesus is ruling on the earth. No, this is for us right here. We have this name. It's given to us. We have a legal right to it. It's almost like a power of attorney. Right. Yes. <laughs> you understand? We have it. It's us. And Jesus said, in my name, you shall cast out demons. In my, it's not in the millennium. There is no demons in the millennium. It's right now. We need this. Now, what did Satan do? He took this name of Jesus and made it a cuss word. So every Hollywood movie that we watch, you know, you, you know, it's constantly, you know, it's talking about Christ Jesus. Christ. They, they just use this word so much and we watch those movies and that name for us doesn't mean anything anymore. But this name, all the power is invested in it. In my name, you shall cast out demons. In my name, you shall drink anything deadly and it shall not hurt you. See, all the power in heaven, on earth, and under the heaven, under the earth is given to Jesus, under that name. So, we need to learn to have faith. Now, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John, when Peter raised up the, you know, the crippled man, he said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and stand. 
And then later on, when the people, you know, the Jewish people ran behind them trying to worship Peter and John, Peter said, why do you look at, look at us as if we did something with our power or with our, our holiness? Faith in the name of Jesus has made this man wow. whole. See, faith in the name of Jesus. Now, we use the name of Jesus, but we don't have faith that it will work. So, when we use the name of Jesus, if we have faith in the name, it will work every single time. It doesn't matter what, what you're using the name for, as long as you know it is according to God's word, you can use the name. It's given to us. It belongs wow. to us. Jesus got it. Jesus earned yes. it. In the Old Testament, we have the name of Jehovah. Now, we have the name of Jehovah as Jehovah Shammah. I might not have pronounced it right, but, you know, Jehovah Shammah, which is the Lord is here, or the Lord is with us, or the Lord is present. Now, through Jesus, the Lord is present in us. If you look at the name of Jehovah Shalom, means the Lord is of peace, right? These are all the seven redemptive names of Jesus. And Jesus came as a peace. He said, you know, the peace of God that passeth all understanding will keep your heart and mind. Peace I give unto you. Jehovah Raha, that the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said, I am your shepherd. And if you look at, you know, Jehovah Jerah, which is the Lord is a provider, then Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner or a captain or a victor. And then you have, you know, Jehovah Sid. Kenu, I don't know if I pronounce it right. It's the Lord is our righteousness. See, all of these names in the Old Testament, the redemptive names of, G of uh, God, is combined together and put into the name of Jesus. Wow. And in the New Testament, Jesus has become all of those to us in his name. So now we don't have to pray in the name of Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah, you know, Nisi or you know, Jera. We pray in the name of Jesus and it yes. works. But a lot of times, because we heard the name of Jesus so much, so much, and, the, you know, uh, people use it as a cuss word. Nowadays, when I watch a movie, it doesn't matter how good it is, if they're going to use the name of Jesus, I'm going to fast forward it or I'm going to just turn it off. Because that name is more precious to me than watching a movie. But it's become so common, you know. The, the idea is that the, law, uh, the devil does not want you to value that name. The way we value that name is to make use of the name in this life to be able to command things to work, get rid of Satan, get rid of sickness and disease in the name of Jesus. And the more we think on those things, we will see it working for yes. us. But, you know, we end every prayer in the name of Jesus. But we don't really believe so much as God wants us to believe in that name. See, the name of Jesus is the presence of Jesus with us in our words. Wow. So the name of Jesus will do exactly what Jesus did when he was on the earth. All authority is given to, to that name. So we can take that name and avail. And now our faith will start working. Now in the beginning, you know, it might not work, but you keep studying on the name of Jesus. Think about the verses that where Jesus said, you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That verse is not talking about begging. That verse ask is to command. Yes. He said, you can command anything in my name, I'll do it. He said, you can ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now he's talking about your desires. He's saying, oh, you ask the Father anything you want in my name, he will give it to you. See, that name is the surety of our promises that God has given us. So when you combine all these things together, Simon, you know, all these hindrances that I taught in the last class and this class, and we start looking at it and meditating on it and, you know, understanding the power in the name of Jesus, we will see a tremendous change in our faith lives and we will see that we're going to walk as overcomers. Wow. We're going to walk victorious over our, our mindsets, our depression, sickness, disease. Now, again, I'm not saying that I'm walking in that completely. I'm not. I'm, but I, my goal every day is to do that. I guess, you know, I'm going to stop there. You know, there's quite a few others, but, you know, 
but these are the things that I, you know, I've been practicing, studying, and learning that is helping my faith not to be hindered that much. The goal is we don't want our faith to be shipwrecked. We want our ship to move to reach the destination that God wants us to reach. And thanks, Melvin, for that very solid one hour of cutting-edge Bible teaching. So important for clearing any hindrances that would stop us exercising the kind of faith that would be needed for us to be fully used by God during these end times. That's it from me for now. Until next time, God bless. Bye-bye.